Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives the breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Thank you, Marty. Isaiah 42, 1-7. Tonight I want us to examine the new covenant in Christ. A covenant, by definition, is a pledged and defined friendship. We use the term covenant, we throw it around, and it might interest you to know that the word covenant is the exact equivalent of the word testament. And what by name, at least the names that have been given to them the names Old Testament and New Testament mean are the names Old and New Covenant. The Lord Jesus, in a passage we'll examine as we deal with the Lord's Supper, says this uh, cup is, my, is the blood of the New Covenant which is shed for you. All of the other covenants, there are seven in all, including this new covenant, all of the other covenants were incomplete that God made with man. All of the pledged and defined friendship agreements that God made were limited and for a particular purpose. There was the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant called the Palestinian covenant, giving the people of Israel a land. There was the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of the law, and there was the covenant with David. All of these were incomplete, every one of them, for a limited time and a limited purpose, and all of them bear witness if we examine them of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of them points to Him. Here in Isaiah and again in Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophesies of the new covenant, the final, the complete covenant that pledges and defines everything that God has said He will do for those who respond to Him. Jesus becomes in the new covenant the fulfillment of all of the old covenants. Consider the covenant of Abraham in which the Lord promised Abraham that 
his seed, that is, one man of his descendants, would crush the head of the serpent. Only Jesus Christ could ever have fulfilled that. And so we are right when we say that God, seeing ahead, seeing the future day as though it were the present, said that Jesus, the seed of the woman, would destroy Satan. The covenant with Abraham, where God met with him and pledged certain things to him, in that covenant, God pledged to Abraham, in your seed, again singular and individual, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham in whom all the world has been blessed. In the covenant of law, the Mosaic covenant, Jesus Christ became the eternal sacrifice that stopped the need for daily and periodic sacrifices for sin. And by the shedding of His own blood, He bore the entire eternal penalty of that covenant if it was disobeyed. And the covenant of Moses could only lead us, could only lead us to the one who would fulfill that covenant. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3, verse 24, Therefore the law has become our tutor or school teacher to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. And in the covenant with David, among other things, God promised David that forever his house would be established as a reigning house to reign from Jerusalem over the entire world forever. And Jesus Christ is the seed of David who is the heir to that promise, and who shall sit on the throne of David and reign forever. All of these other covenants were incomplete. This new covenant that Isaiah prophesies is the highest expression in the Scriptures of the relationships between God and man. There is no doubt that this passage introduces what Jesus called the new covenant, which was sealed by his blood. And by the way, the Hebrew meaning of the word covenant means to cut. Because in the ancient world, the covenants were always sealed between the agreeing parties by a blood sacrifice and the taking of a covenant meal, such as we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And so it, by name, which means the shedding of blood or to cut, foreshadows the work of Christ. There is no doubt that this text introduces that new covenant in Christ because in Matthew 12, verses 17 to 21, the Lord Jesus there quotes this passage and applies it to himself. There is a passage in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And in that Jeremiah passage, the Lord again prophesies through Jeremiah that covenant. And he says this, But this is the covenant which I will make 
with the house of Israel in those days. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. These verses plus others in this same passage are quoted extensively in Hebrews chapter 8. And so the New Testament confirms that the Old Testament prophecy here in Isaiah 42 and again the prophecy in Jeremiah 31 are talking about the new covenant in Christ. I want us tonight briefly to consider this passage as, the, as Isaiah introduces the Lord Jesus in both of his roles in both of his comings, both as the tender prophet and as the coming redeemer. In verses 1 to 4, you will notice with me as we examine the new covenant in Christ, his servanthood. In these four verses, we see him in his role as a servant. The great servant passages in Isaiah form the most clear and concise prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus that we have in the Old Testament. In verse 1, he is called my servant. That is a unique term. It signifies his perfect obedience. Indeed, the Lord says that his servant is to be characterized by service. And yet he is free to do as he will. He is free to make his own decisions. Here is the perfect combination of service and freedom. But I would remind you that as you see this new covenant come to fulfillment in the life of the Lord Jesus, that he at once and always was a servant in everything that he did. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus put himself above service. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus refused to exert himself to be a servant. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, God with skin on. He was God's perfect man. He was God and man, and yet we know that Jesus had the same kind of physical needs that we have. He needed rest. His body needed nourishment. But yet if you follow the Lord Jesus through the Gospels, through those short glimpses of Him that record about four months of a three-year ministry, you will see often that the Lord Jesus, when the day had been long and the crowds had pressed upon Him, He had not hurried the crowds away or turned His back on anybody. Rather, He would stay in the hills as He did one night until far into the night so that he could have time to nourish his soul and be alone with God. Indeed, in the passage where he came walking to the disciples on the water in the middle of the night, it was about the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night was between 3 and 6 a.m. He had been up all night to be alone with the Lord rather than dismiss the crowds and turn away from being a servant. On other occasions, we find him as we do in Mark chapter 1 and in other places. And the night had been long in service. The crowds 
came around the door at night after supper and he didn't even have time to eat. And so in this circumstance, the Scriptures record that he arose a great while before day to make time to be with the Lord rather than not to be a servant to the people that needed him. He was always a servant. He always served his purpose. Unlike any of us or any man, the Lord Jesus Christ realized that compromise eliminates the possibility of success. In spiritual matters, not politics, spiritual matters, compromise eliminates even the possibility of success. And the Lord Jesus never compromised himself to accomplish his purpose. He always served the purpose to which God had sent him. He always served the law. For in him was found no iniquity. There was no sin that could be laid to his charge. He was the perfect fulfillment of the law that God had given to Moses. He always served the Father, bearing witness three times in the Gospel of John. I do not speak my own words, but the Father's words. I came not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me, and what the Father says, that I will do. He always served his own people, putting them ahead of himself. In Matthew 20, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus says, did not come to be served, but to serve. In Philippians 2, verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And so we see him truly described by the Father as my servant. For always he served above all else. In verses 2 and 3, the servant role is expanded. As the Lord says, he will bring justice, but he will not cry out or raise his voice. He will not, verse 3 says, break off a, a bruised reed or put out a flickering candle. He will be that gentle. He will be God's Savior. He will be the Redeemer. He will be the Lord, but he will do it in love and as a servant. There will be no self-advertising. He will not promote himself. Isaiah says, and always the sanctification of his own people will be uppermost in his mind. And notice that he will use no coercion. He will use no coercion. He will lead tenderly. He will plead persuasively, but he will not force his will or his ways on anybody gentle to the weak sinner and the weak saint alike. For the difference between sinners and saints 
is only in their relationship to the Lord, not in their nature, not in their ability to please God. The church is no showcase for saints, rather a hospital for sinners, sinners who have been saved through the blood of Jesus. He will be gentle with the weak, the sinner and the saint alike. He will never extinguish hope, for it says he will not even put out a flickering candle. And then in verse 4, he will never be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Can we help but wonder as we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels how he escaped discouragement and doubt and disheartenment? And this prophecy was literally fulfilled. The Lord Jesus, the Scriptures say very simply, never trusted his own welfare, his own fate into the hands of his followers because he knew what was on the inside of man. You see, there is a lesson to be learned here, not only the lesson of servanthood, but we need to be aware that our love for other people is not conditioned on what they are. You do not love because of what somebody else is. You love because of what you are. And when you find yourself unable to love, it is nobody's problem but your own. It is not the other person's problem. For if love was intended and ordained of God to be given only to those who deserved it, none of us would be saved. And the Scriptures tell us that we are to forgive others and love them in the same way that God has forgiven and loved us. He will be steadfast. The unique thing about Jesus Christ is He will never be what He helps. You know, often the world tries to water down Christianity and liberal theologians try to tell us that we must understand by participation what the world goes through. If that's true, then Jesus Christ couldn't help anybody. Amen? Because you see, Jesus will never be what He delivers us from. He is always and ever the servant. There will be no bruises in this reed, no dimness in this light. Here is the servanthood of the Lord Jesus. And do you not think, reading these verses, that that prophecy was well fulfilled in the life of Christ? And then in verses 5 to 7, here is His Saviorhood. For He liberates all His own. Thus says the Lord, and then follows a description of the Lord, I will hold you by the hand. I will appoint you to be a covenant to the people. God announces Him as His own, uniquely called uniquely appointed to His place of service. God's new covenant with mankind is in Christ. But more than that, the new covenant is Christ. He is God's new covenant. He is the giver of the covenant, the stronger party who offers terms of peace to the weaker party. He is the messenger of the covenant. As we read in Malachi 3, verse 1, 
the Lord again prophesying of this new covenant. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He is the giver of the covenant. He is the messenger who carries word of the covenant. He is the mediator who works out the terms with individuals within the covenant. And he himself is the sacrifice that seals that covenant between us and the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, the writer to the Hebrew Christian says, But now once... At the consummation of the ages, he has been made known to put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. In verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews 10, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us, through the veil which is his flesh. And in Hebrews 12, 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to his sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. He was enough as a sacrifice for all time. If we had read extensively other verses in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, there the writer to the Hebrews says that daily the priest under the old covenant used to stand in the temple and every day at the proper time they would offer sacrifices to God. Every day but his sacrifice at Calvary was enough to satisfy the sin debt for all men for all time and he did it once and for all and that is all that is necessary. As a servant, he meets needs. As the light of the world, he in the new covenant brings salvation. And as Isaiah has called him in the sermon we talked about last week, he is the root of Jesse. And as the root of Jesse, he will reign for all time on David's throne. The only peace with God is found with, within God's new covenant agreement with the human race. And nobody can enter that covenant in any way but through Jesus Christ. For He sealed His blood. He sealed this covenant, rather, with His own blood. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. The Lord Jesus, Paul recalls, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember we said in the beginning that every covenant has three elements. There are the parties of the new covenant. And this new covenant, though it is open to all mankind, is a very personal thing. The parties of the covenant are very simply you and Christ. 
the promises of the covenant, the terms of it, what each party agrees to do. In this covenant, you agree with God to give Him your life so that in return, He may give you the life of Christ. And the conditions of the covenant are very simple. They are that every sinner touched by the convicting power of God's Spirit trust in Christ as His eternal sacrifice for sin. The new covenant in Christ. This perhaps is the capstone of Old Testament revelation as all of the agreements, all of the promises God had made to man come to focus and are fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, in Him, all the promises of God are yea, and in Him, amen. And the question to be dealt with tonight, the Word of God never touches our lives without leaving a question to be answered and in the answering, a commitment to be made. The question to be asked tonight that every worshiper must answer is very simply this. Are you within the new covenant that Christ has bought at the price of His blood? If the answer is yes, then His blood, as we've talked about in 1 Peter, becomes our greatest motivation. His grace becomes our greatest motivation to serve Him. And every Christian ought daily to pause and consider the wonder that the eternal and unique Lamb of God would shed His blood to pay for our sins. And if you cannot say that you are within this new covenant that God has made through the blood of Jesus, then you may this hour confess the fact to Him that you are a sinner and ask His forgiveness and ask Him to save you from your sin and to live within your heart. The new covenant in Christ, it is available to all, but it is a very personal and unique thing. Are you within it tonight? If not, this is the hour for you to come under the blood and become one of His. May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son, the perfect for the imperfect, the innocent for the guilty, to pay a price too dear for the likes of us. Father, I thank you for the perfection of Christ, for His uniqueness, and for all that you have done for us through Him. Now, Lord, tonight may every one of us as worshipers touched by the presence of your Spirit, quickened by the power of your Word, examine Himself and determine His covenant relationship to you. Father, arrest us tonight during this time of invitation and the memorial observance to follow with the reality that blood, blood precious and unique of God's choice cornerstone was shed for us. Draw from us as we see you the kind of commitment that will change our lives.
I thank you for what you will do, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.